Hello, everyone. This is Jordan, the owner and CEO of Greaser Consulting. On today's episode, we've got Tony, uh, who is a co-founder at a company called Growblocks. Uh, listen, fascinating individual that I bumped into recently at a, a Project A European-based conference. Uh, he is beating the drum strong right now for RevOps and is... Uh, and I think I even mentioned this in the podcast when you listen in. He's really like a rising star right now. Um, a lot of people are starting to tune into his work. Um, he's doing a lot of great things around running to that revenue number and what does that mean. Uh, so, listen, this is a really interesting conversation today on RevOps in Europe, a little bit of Tony's background and story. Uh, you know, as most of these things go, we get a little bit sideways talking about paid ads and some strategies that. Uh, like Google, for example, used in the past. Uh, so anyway, listen, just lean into this one. Uh, enjoy. Tony's a really good guy. Uh, I highly recommend that uh, when you're done listening to this, you go follow him. Uh, he's going to have a lot of great insight for you. Have fun. Say you want some clarity in sales and marketing and SEP. Well, we have just the remedy. Our podcast Hey crew, I've got Tony with me today. Tony, introduce yourself. Jordan, thanks for having me. Um, hey everyone, so uh, I'm Tony. Um, I am the CEO of Growblox. And before that, what I've been doing, actually I've been, uh, been an FP&A guy, then I've been a RevOps guy. And then I ended up being the CRO actually for two B2B SaaS companies. Uh, both of them actually exited in the end. So it was like two super cool journeys. One for, I think, 150 million, the other one for around like 200 million. Um, and after those two journeys, I was basically like, hey, you know, how how difficult can this be? Let's build this myself. Uh, and that's what I'm doing here at Growblocks right now. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me, John. Yeah, just so everybody knows, like, uh, and just real quick, what is Growblocks? Where are you based? Uh, you know, for our, my U.S. listeners here, they might be saying, hey, this guy sounds like he might be from somewhere else. Give us a little more context yeah. here. So I'm, I'm originally from Germany. I am sitting right now, though, in, uh, in Denmark. Um, so it's a little bit north of Germany, actually, for everyone who doesn't know that. Um, and Growblocks, what is Growblocks doing? So what we are, we're kind of addressing a pretty simple question. Um, which is while while budgets are really great for managing costs, what is it that you're actually using to manage your revenue, right? And once you start thinking about this, like, hey, wait a minute, this whole budget thing, all of this is based on revenue, but what actually sits behind that line item? How does it actually come to be? And you know, how does how does that need to be planned and so forth? That is the problem that we're solving uh, at Growblocks, uh, and we're currently. You know, we are one one and a little bit years into this journey. We have a couple of customers, a couple of venture capital, and uh, yeah, you know, happy to happy to chat more if someone reaches out and uh, wants to kind of figure out how to plan their revenue and execute their revenue in a better way. Well, so here's what folks listening today may not know. Uh, so Tony and I first met uh, getting ready for a conference through Project Day. Uh, it was a European-based conference, European-based company over there. 
and I, I didn't know it at the time, but when I bumped into Tony, I thought, okay, he was he was teaching me some geography, making sure that I know where things are at on the map. And, uh, you know, we had a good time, had some good laughs, did a conference together. Uh, but, you know, I did some investigating. Tony doesn't even know this, but after the session, I did some investigating. Who is this Tony guy? And, you know, Tony's kind of a like a rising star in Europe right now, uh, legitimately pushing this RevOps motion really hard. Uh, if you find him on LinkedIn, you, he's got a lot of great content coming out. And so I reached out to him and said, okay, listen, we got this sort of rising star in Europe, thinking about RevOps. And uh, man, I want to have him come on the show here or on the podcast and talk a little bit about how he even got to where he is. Because from what I understand, this whole notion of RevOps, even though it's quote unquote new in the US, it's like really new in Europe right now. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, so really, sorry, did you want to, did you want to add something? No, no, I was just going to say like, it's really new and, and you're sort of one of the folks that are spearheading it right now. So I'd love to hear like, like your journey, where'd you get started and how did you get to this place that you're really beating this drum right yeah, now? No, absolutely. So my journey, my journey started as kind of a finance dude, an FP&A guy, uh, early on in a company we have 10 folks, maybe. I had some previous experience from venture capital and um, and what you learn there is the number side, the spreadsheet side and, and some of these finance pieces. So that's what was brought in in, uh, in Falcon IO back then to to you know start managing some of that stuff. And as we went through this, there obviously was a, oh, okay, we're running out of cash, Tony. Let's, let's go and do some venture capital uh, um, investment here, uh, which we then ended up doing. And what you need for that is usually this, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a budget, it's a spreadsheet with a bunch of, hey, this is where we want to end up maybe. Um, and hey, this is how that maybe is going to work out. Basically, it's a, it's a spreadsheet that's trying to tell a story of, hey, listen, investor, this is for sure how we're going to be a unicorn in, you know, five, six, seven, whatever years, right? The problem with those spreadsheets is that all of them are basically, um, they're basically bullshit. Uh, all of them. Um, it's really, it's a, it's a piece of... Well, it's one big guess. It's it's a total big guess, but the problem is you use it in order to sell the company uh, and you discuss it seriously with those investors. Those investors, by the way, they're all in on the game. They know like, wait a minute, that's probably not exactly going to happen like that. But once you then place the check and the investment and you have the first board meeting, you need to kind of show up with this plan and be like, hey, you know, as we discussed, this is what we're shooting for. And that's also what the investors are expecting. But the thing is, at that point, you kind of talked yourself a little bit into a corner, right? You've set up those expectations. And now the rest of the organization needs to follow up and actually execute this thing, right? And that is a little bit also then how my journey went, actually. So I was I was the one with the spreadsheets. I was the one in those investor meetings kind of explaining this and, hey, this is how it's going to happen. And and my boss obviously was owning that conversation, so it was not, you know, me necessarily. Uh, but then, actually, and this was, I think, I'm not sure if it was after the A or the B, my boss basically was like, okay, cool, Tony, now that you uh, built all of those plans and those spreadsheets and have all of those cool assumptions, um, you know, now I want you to actually go execute, go away from this finance thing and, and become this other thing. You know, I'm not a salesperson. It's not like I jumped on the phone. I was like a VP sales or anything like that. I became something else. We we didn't really have a, a name for it back then. I think for a short period of time, my title was legit 
special operations manager. That was my title back then. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, as it, as it so happens, you know, I do some of the CRM stuff. I do some of the planning stuff, commissions, targets, all of these typical sales ops things. And then, you know, as, as, as we went through this, it dawned on us that, oh, I think other people are calling the sales operations actually. Right. And then, you know, the, the, the story then continued that, um, you know, I was doing this a lot for the, uh, the sales folks, uh, and that started to work kind of well. Uh, but then more and more realized, wait a minute, um, marketing kind of has the same need actually. And wait a minute, CS has the same need. And, and all of them are started to get like envy, ops envy, right? I see this happening a lot. Um, we had someone actually in marketing that was kind of marketing ops person. And what then happened was this weaponization of ops. So it was VP marketing, hey, uh, can you give me this report to kind of prove the point that really want to make that battles on the sales guy? And the sales guy was like, hey, sales ops, can you give me this report so I can battle the VP of marketing? Um, and um, and we realized, hey, this doesn't make any, any sense, right? I mean, it's just a SaaS. This is, goes all the way through. Um, we need to take all of these resources together into one thing. We need to pool it Um and I still remember, so this is my co-founder uh, here at Growblog. So Olafur and I, we were sitting in a meeting room uh, here in Copenhagen and we were like, okay, so this is sales ops, this is marketing ops, this is CS ops. Are we going to call it commercial operations or are we going to call it revenue operations? And we both looked at each other and was like, I think this revenue operations thing, this is never going to stick. Let's let's call it commercial operations. And, you know, ah, it's yeah, still, in this work. company, that'll it's still work. called commercial operations to this. And I, and I, and I apologize for that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what's really interesting about that is just, just the concept of evolution, so to speak, not happening in a mm-hmm. vacuum. And what I mean by that statement is, uh, you know, you look across the pond, they've been calling it RevOps for years, right? And here here you all are in Copenhagen, you know, sitting in, in this, I just envision you in some small dark room yeah, somewhere. Yeah, that's how Copenhagen looks like, yeah. Sca- yeah, 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 exactly. Scoping for the world here. What is this new thing that we're going to bring forth? Commercial operations. And then lo, lo and behold, it exists yeah. somewhere else, right? No, absolutely. And the, um, so, I mean, Obviously, kind of, I'm going much, much deeper now on this whole uh, RevOps thing. And uh, I'm also realizing, so, yes, there was RevOps. Um, and that maybe is a thing for the, what, the last seven, eight, nine years or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then apparently before that, there was something called go-to-market operations or, or revenue. Something like that was actually here before doing some kind of similar things, but not with the same spin, I guess. And, um, and so it's 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 obviously a new idea. Um, but it's, but it's really much more packaged in a new way, actually kind of that, that's sometimes how it feels. There's a lot of, a lot of these issues that, you know, operations in general is addressing, uh, which is really tooling in the beginning as boring as it sounds, but that's usually the starting point and the data, the process and so forth. I mean, that problem has existed for longer than, than seven or eight years, right? I mean, this is basically since, since, uh, you know, people bought software to manage their go-to-market. So uh, curious about how the European market has really taken hold of this idea because you're like you're right thinking about how marketing over here is really territorial, right? Sales is real success is really territorial and you have all these folks sort of fighting for resources and now all of a sudden you're going into organizations and you're saying, "Hey, instead of fighting for your own resource, just give it up and put it over here." Uh, like that's not an easy conversation, right? And so how like how is that being received? So um I think the 
so no one wants to give up resources and even the most rational of VP of sales and VP marketing, I think they always find reasons to argue against uh, pulling it under one umbrella. I think the the push needs to come from uh, either, hey, we now have a CRO, a person that oversees the whole thing across and ideally not the, I'm an elevated VP sales CRO, but someone that ideally owns marketing sales and CS together. And then that person has a very specific... So Hold on uh, one second, though. Are you talking about like CMO reports to CRO situation? Like what exactly are yeah, you saying? Yeah, so I here? think on the on the CRO side, there are obviously many different setups out there, right? And uh, there are lots of feelings how that, you know, should ideally be. Uh, my own setup that I had twice uh, in, in, in both companies, basically I had a VP marketing, I had a VP sales, and I had a VP CS and, you know, uh, some, you know, regional ones as well. Um, and that worked really well. Um, and then you obviously have, you know, I think, and I think this can work. And the reason why it, why it does work really well, it, you know, I would want to even say for my, uh, in my situation was I came from a revenue operations background and perspective, right? I was not the, oh, everything needs to be optimized for sales and everything needs to do, you know, build around sales, which I sometimes see those kind of CROs kind of doing it. Um, and and the point that you're bringing up is like, wait a minute, you know, another C-level rolling into another C-level. I think that can fall either or. I think marketing usually is the one that breaks away and then you have a sales and CS kind of CRO setup. But what I really don't like, it doesn't change the the problem of these two roles being still not fully aligned actually at the end of the day, right? You will still have a CMO that pushes more for potentially things that are not making sense across the uh, across the revenue stream and this is this is kind of the job description of a CRO right and a a CRO that does oversee the full revenue stream they do need they do need a team that helps them actually to manage that and that in many times is then you know revenue operations right and and if you have someone like that i think the unification of revops you know that previously was sorry marketing sales and cs that then rolling up to the CRO, that makes like total sense. But I'm thinking about your specific path though, right? Quite frankly, it's an odd yeah. one, right? You're, you're, you're the spreadsheet guy and then all of a sudden you're actually in charge of doing the work. Like that's a really odd transition. Um, can't say that I can, can think of anybody else who went from, well, actually, no, there's one other person I can think of who was sort of the finance person who became like grew into that sort of CRO situation. Okay. But usually to your point, it's a VP of sales that yeah. sort of rises yes. up. Okay. Rarely, um, I can't even think of a scenario where somebody would come out of marketing and then shift over to like a CRO title. I can't say that I've seen that happen. Um, success and then shift over to a CRO title. Like usually it sells going in some other direction at mm-hmm. some point. Right. And so, like, is that the only path that you really see is like, we got to pull all these finance folks, get them into this CRO type of thing, sort of follow Tony's lead. And like, here's why you're going to think really strategically about all of this. Or is it really, if everything kind of from these different buckets can fall under this umbrella, like there is a path from marketing, there is a path from success, there is a path from sales. So I, th- I think that's true. Um, I think there's a path from anyone. I don't think it's blocked necessarily. I take a little bit of offense of you calling me the finance guy that ends up being the revenue guy. It's, you know, I, I see myself as the RevOps guy that then was the CRO in the end. Um, 
No, but uh, well, Tony, just so you know, I mean, I still see you as the finance guy. You know, the person who's always the pain in the rear that you can't get budget and, and passed, the spreadsheet guy that wants to fight you yeah, on everything. No, but right. the so to answer your question, um, who is who is good for this role <laughs> and who is not? Um, and and I don't think it has necessarily to do with you know which which team you grew up in. I think that will that will always give you a little bit of an edge in that specific silo. I think the really important piece is your openness to understand the other parts of the revenue function. I think that that is the that is the important piece here. If you are a VP of sales with an elevated title, that is, and I've seen this by the way, uh, that is optimizing everything around sales. Meaning, hey, let's choke those leads to make them only super high quality. So my uh, you know, sales guys have an easy time selling this stuff and let's allow everything into a customer base. You know, I don't care necessarily about, you know, the churn, you know, per se, you know, basically optimizing everything for sales. I think that's the wrong setup. Actually, if you are the CRO, you need to detach yourself and you come out of the sales role you need to detach yourself a little bit for optimizing for your, you know, your buddies, if you will, and you need to see like, okay, how can I optimize the whole thing? And that sometimes means you need to relearn some of the things that you have spent a decade or more, you know, reinforcing like, hey, this is, you know, sales is my thing and I need to protect against the marketing guy, against the CS guy. I think if you can detach yourself from that, um, I think then anyone can actually be a, be a great CRO. But how do you do that? Because it's human nature to optimize toward yeah. your bias, right? So like somebody, you just say, you need to detach, you need to detach. Well, you know, that sounds fantastic, Tony. But like realistically, how do you detach, right? I came up in sales. It's everything that I know. I think through this vein in order to be qualified to be a good CRO in that standpoint or in charge of RevOps, like what is the appropriate way to round out in marketing or success or even, you know, talking to the yeah. finance guy, heaven forbid, right? Like, like how do you actually get enough skill, awareness, knowledge, you know, in some case, even like some political yeah. sway, right? Within your organization that people will say, ah, like, like they get that scope. So I think maybe it's less about detaching yourself than it is about attaching yourself to something new, right? And and that then might be the full revenue piece actually as as a metric, if you will, not necessarily the new biz or something like that. It's really the renewed stuff at the end of the year or basically the ARR that you're building up, right? And if this is what you're optimizing for, so number one, you will understand... And I think the trying to understand the other departments is a really important piece here, by the way. You will understand, well, there are some limitations in Google search, Google paid search, right? When I was coming out of sales and, you know, basically the sales ops guy, I was always looking at the marketing folks and I was like, guys, why aren't you just spending more money on ads? I don't understand it. Why are you making it so difficult? Just buy some more leads. How difficult can it be? Well, it turns out it's much more difficult than just that, right? It doesn't actually work like that. You have you know, a specific amount you can spend on Google search and then it just ends. People don't understand that Google search ends at some point and you can't just add more on that. And then you need to get really creative. What else you're going to do? And usually this is when then, and this is where some of the dysfunction then comes from. Usually this is then when the CMO suddenly starts, uh, hey, let's do those webinar leads and let's mark them MQL and send them to the sales guys and oh, wow, 100 leads only resulted in one opportunity. Well, you just need to work them harder, right? That's where some of those, th this is where some of those, uh, those conflicts are coming from. 
And if you have, as a, as a sales leader, in that case, also as a marketing leader, if you don't want to understand the other parts of the, uh, of the different silos and of the part of the revenue, I think that's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for you to become a great CEO in that sense. Not saying that I necessarily was, you know, I'm, I'm from Europe, I'm not... Uh, not uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, yeah, you're not able to uh, talk about your own greatness there you very go. well. Uh, However, I would like to just say this publicly from somebody as Tony's just a fantastic leader. So I, you Europeans can take other people's praise, right? Like no, that, that is works. okay. That is okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So listen, Tony was fantastic. This is hold on, Tony. Where's that list yes. you sent me? I want to make and sure. And hundred bucks the right also, way. by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> No, but so again, right? It's it's. I think it's more about attaching yourself to a, to a different metric, um, and then then basically thinking, okay, how can I optimize for that thing, and then organizing the rest of the silos, if you will, to optimize for that over time. I, I don't know. I think I think if you go in with the premise of, hey, you come from sales, you're biased towards sales, um, and, and therefore it's going to be difficult for you to understand this other stuff. I think. I think that would block off a lot of avenues for basically everyone. And basically you're saying no one can be a good CIO, right? Uh, that, that's, that, that would then be the inverse of that argument. So, Tony, I'm going to take this conversation sideways for half a second just to tell you a story. The other person that I said I knew that came from a finance background and went to CRO was actually one of the most responsible folks uh, for taking Google public back in the Oh, there day. you go. Okay. Uh, but the reason I'm bringing this up is you were talking about paid ads, and I was talking to um, her name was was uh, Anna. I was talking to Anna the one day, and she told me, and I don't even remember this. Like back in the day, you know how in Google there's like the top section of the yeah. paid ads, and I can't remember if there's always like two or three or whatever. But there's like a certain number. This was back in what 2004 that there'd be whatever number of ads. Every time Google was about to have a shortfall, like maybe they weren't going to hit their number or whatever else, what they would do is on like any yeah. search combination that would work, whatever that next layer, one, two, three paid ads, and then it's always the first organic search, they would do one extra paid ad and actually put Google as that next yeah. line, like the last yeah. line item, because people were so trained, ad, ad, ad organic ad 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 organic and they'd click the google button thinking that it was the, like the first organic search and she said immediately within two weeks they'd be above and beyond the number <laughs> so i i mean just think about like the monopolization uh of like search and whatever else in the programming of humanity here that you could literally just hit the number by saying well listen if we're gonna miss let's just pretend like we're the first organic search even though say ad and then we're gonna hit yeah. our number like, can you can you imagine that power over paid ads? Yeah, I mean, now that you said it, I can I can very much imagine that actually. What what I often see that people can't imagine, which is you know the other perspective here is, wait, Google is such a massive company; they have you know so much traffic, they make so much money on ads. Um, how can how can they ever run out of leads to send me? That that is that is sometimes the the alternative that I'm seeing, and then I kind of need to you know have the conversation and remind people, well, if you're working in B2C and if you're selling sneakers, the, you know, Google will never run out of leads to send you. It's really just a game whether or not you can acquire them, you know, for the right amount of money. In your B2B niche of a niche of a niche of a niche, 
where you have maybe have five people waking up every morning to think like, oh, let's Google, let's Google that problem. Let's see what comes out of there's not suddenly going to be 10, 20, 30, or 100 people coming out of this. It's going to stay those five unless you do, and unless something big happens, unless you do the margin, unless you have like, you know, Corona or something else happens, right? Um, and and I think a lot of people struggle with the realization that there's a cap on some of these things actually. And, and once you realize that, then it becomes a, okay, wait a minute, what am I going to do now then? What, what is the other thing in marketing that we're going to do now in order to kind of send more demos and so forth, right? Um, so this is this is what what I've been running into a lot actually. Did you know? I, I this might be totally false, but I read something about two or three months ago that said among Gen Z, uh, TikTok has more organic search than Google. Uh, so instead of like uh, going to Google and saying, you know, how to set up RevOps in Europe or whatever, like. Gen Z is going to TikTok and saying how to set up RevOps and, your, you know, whatever. And they're going to TikTok as the major search engine before Google. And so anyway, I know we're going really <laughs> sideways on this. Uh, but, I mean, I'm just fascinated by how such a large, massive company that has just owned the market for so long, all of a sudden something that began with like dance videos, yeah. right? is becoming something that's beginning to eat their lunch in the next generation. And so st finding some vague way to loop this back into our conversation, uh, you know, in Europe, as, as I've talked to different folks, people have been living off of spreadsheets forever. And so I, uh, we have a mutual friend named David and like he, he's doing all this like tech work, tools, whatever. And he's going into these organizations and, and like they've never seen anything beyond a spreadsheet before. It's like the first time. And so going from a place where spreadsheet is so heavy and that's all you know, to now you're talking about, hey, we're going to do this revenue operations motion. We're going to, you know, I've heard you talk about how tools just don't really matter, but the point is they're in there. We're also going to revolutionize even the way that your organization works. Like, how difficult is that conversation with folks when you sit down for the first time and you're, and you're like, hey, listen, it's not just tools. Like, we're actually going to change your job titles. We're actually going to change the way that you think. Like, are people receptive to this? So, first of all, I don't think, I don't think Europe is alone in the spreadsheet hell, by the way. I think that's a thing across. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, when you think about Airtable and their success, you, you know why they were so successful? Basically, a little bit better of a Google spreadsheet that then took over the CRM, your accounting, your bookkeeping, your you know invites, yeah. you know all of these things. This is what Airtable basically did. So, so there's a bunch of there's a couple of unicorns you can build just with trying to replace something that you know is currently built in a in a spreadsheet, right? And I think then in the um, you know, flipping to this RevOps, I don't know, the rise of it, the revolution, I don't know, whatever, you know, word you want to attach to that. I think... <laughs> oh, sorry, it's commercial operations. There you go. Yeah, right, let okay. me let me educate <laughs> everyone here. It's actually called commercial operations. No, I think the, um, I think the, the realization is less so we need uh, someone to do some of the ops stuff. I, I think, you know, maybe Germany is a bit behind potentially. I mean, Denmark is a bit more mature in the B2C, uh, sorry, B2B side, actually. But but generally speaking, I think people are waking up to, okay, um, you know, does the VP sales want to roll out HubSpot or want to uh, integrate HubSpot to outreach uh, or whatever? And there's very clearly, no, the VP of sales does not, does not want to do that at all. There's no one that can do it. And, you know, my, my go-to line on this is, 
you might not have someone in the organization that's called sales operations, but someone in the organization for sure is doing sales operations for you right now, right? So I think I think the basis of that, I think that's less so new. I think what is more so a new thing is, and this is what I'm trying to push uh, most of the time is, so you have those you have those really skilled, uh, let's call them consultants. Um, you know, some of them actually come from management consulting, some of them come from finance, some of them, you know, come maybe from you know other go-to-market functions. Um, and they basically uh, they have to roll out those tools, and in order to roll out those tools, they need to understand the process and they need to understand end-to-end how this whole thing actually works. And once they achieve that, once they master that, it feels kind of wasted to only use them to roll out another tool end-to-end. Actually, kind of what some organizations doing, and much more so in the U.S., by the way, and you know, in, increasingly so in Europe, is to realize, okay, wait a minute, actually, these 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 people here that understand the full process, why am I not using them for quote unquote higher level tasks? Why am I not using them for revenue planning? Why am I not using them to figure out, you know, how to set up this budget? Why am I not using them to figure out, hey, can we actually achieve the three x, the four x, whatever we plan for next year? And if so, how would that plan actually look like, right? And and this is the whole conversation about uh, strategic revops. Really, you know, what it, at the core, what it means to me, the, the stuff that you learn being the operational tactical revops, use that stuff in order to do more stuff on top. And and for me, that, that thing on top is uh, leveraging your end-to-end funnel understanding. You know, the engine is in front of you. You kind of X-ray vision through it. You see which you know, uh, screw is loose and you, you tighten and what happens if you tighten it too much. And I can tell you right now as, as, as RevOps turned CRO, when I was sitting in those exec meetings, when I was sitting in those boardrooms, no one gets this. No one understands the engine uh, as you might do as a revenue operations person. And if you do, and if you leverage that uh, in terms of, you know, bigger level tasks, I think it's... Um, it's it's a massive massive opportunity for talent. And when I finish this pitch uh, to kind of C level or to other people that are you know willing to listen, everyone is like, oh wow, you're totally right. Yeah, you know why why am I only quote unquote using them to roll out you know HubSpot and what have you? So look, we're we're running up on time, but I want to I want to ask you one action question. So you finish the pitch, and they're like, yes, let's do it. Okay, so. Tony, with Growblox, you go in there and you're working with an organization. Like, like what's the what's the first, second, third step? You know, we got to move a little quickly here. If you're like, yeah, you just bought in. What are you doing next? So I think it's it's a little bit different for for Growblox. So really, what we are um, uh, what we are doing is uh, basically kind of uh, helping you to build your revenue engine end to end. Kind of that's all from traffic to leads to opportunities to churn. We have that then as a as a product, right? And then you can use that to do your revenue plan. And once you have your bottom-up revenue plan, then you can understand, okay, so what needs to happen, you know, when and if something is going off, how much is it going to go off? And really the the impact that people realize, and we're kind of still on the productization journey, if you will, the thing that people take away and, you know, really see like, oh, wow, you know, this this is this is what we now need in our lives and it's pretty stupid and pretty boring, but it's actually monthly and quarterly business reviews that are actually <laughs> valuable. You know, that that is yeah, the yeah, stuff. Yeah. At the end of the day, when you think about it, 
everyone talks about MBRs and QBRs and how important they are. Guess what? No one is actually doing them. And if they're aware, you know, first of all, they probably would be pretty late, two, three weeks into the month, and then it's, that's that's difficult. Uh, so, you know, go buy Growblocks. Or but, you're sitting in there on something and everybody's talking and everybody only listens when they're yeah. speaking and everybody else no, checks and the other out, thing right? is like, My turn's up, uh, I'm done. You know, my number here is, two, is, is, is three leads fewer, so, you know, I don't believe anything that's written in the stack. But, I mean, that that is massive impact that RevOps can actually deliver today in many cases but they don't. And I think that would be an action item. If someone is listening and thinking, how can I be more strategic? Well, think about setting up an MBR, QBR setup, uh, especially for your go-to-market function. And the the second, the, the maybe the first thing that's going to happen is the CEO and the CFO are going to knock on your door. And number one, hey, can you send me that deck? And number two, can you add me to the invite next month? Right? And, and suddenly you as RevOps have like direct impact, direct interface to C-level and suddenly these guys don't see you as the system admin anymore. Suddenly they see you as like, okay, you know, I, I was about to cuss you actually. They, you know, fuck. They see you actually as someone that can <laughs> impact the revenue and can tell me something that I didn't know. They can tell me something that the VP of sales didn't know or didn't want to tell me, right? And suddenly you're playing in a completely different field. <laughs> Tony, uh, listen, thanks for coming on today. How do folks get a hold of you? Follow me on LinkedIn. Tony Holbein, it's a German name, it's difficult to spell probably, um, uh, at Growblocks, uh, that's probably kind of how you can find me. Um, a colleague of mine also doing a show ourselves, we will have Jordan on that one, you know, eventually. Uh, we're talking about everything revenue, uh, mostly revenue leaders, revenue operations, that's really our uh, main How do they find that show? Uh, that? Go, on, that? go on Spotify and, uh, and search for The Revenue Formula. The revenue formula. The revenue. Okay. Uh, listen, crew, I, I do mean this. Um, as I've sort of navigated some different countries working in the EU and, and gotten into some different circles over there, actually in the last six months, Tony's name keeps popping up. And so my point in saying this is like this is a guy that you want to get a hold of today uh, because six months, two years, whatever from now, uh, I mean, the chasm may just be too far wide for folks like me to be able to reach reach out there. Is that enough praise yeah, for you, no, Tony? I mean, it's Does usually that... the oh, he's he's going to be too successful. That really drives the urgency. I love that one. That that that's something you only get on your shows. I love it, Jordan. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All right, crew. Thanks for thanks for listening in, Tony. Thanks for Thank coming. You so much. Always a good time Wonderful. chatting with cool. you. I'll see you. Hot dog! That was a great episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Greaser Consulting or any information you heard on today's episode, visit us online at www.greaserconsulting.com. Be sure to click the follow button and the bell icon to be notified on the latest here at RevOps Therapy. Thanks and see you real soon.